0: Love Talk Radio.
1: and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Here we are already in uh, closing the first week of July. It's hard to believe how fast uh, these days are going. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or it's just the time itself. But anyways, we're on uh, July 7th here, um, the first Thursday of of July, and uh, we've got a great show for you tonight. Going to start off, of course, with Coach's Corner, a little bit change of plans uh, to what I originally had scheduled, and I'll explain that in just a moment here. And then a little bit later on in the show, Uh, I'm going to be joined by the founders of ILDC, which is the International Long Drive Challenge, uh, Rick Benoit and Bill Stark. They're going to be joining me here. uh, Just sort of a recap of some of the things that they've been doing this year so far. And then they also have uh, a new event coming out uh, actually next week, I believe, as well. I think it starts the 10th, which is Sunday. uh, I believe that is. And uh, it's uh, taking place in uh, North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. So they're going to come on and talk about that as well. Uh, and a few other things. But uh, as I said, we're going to start off with Coach's Corner. And uh, just a a quick note, I want to uh, apologize to the listeners for the Tuesday morning show. This has happened uh, two weeks in a row now. Uh, Ran into some uh, technical issues with the the program. And unfortunately, uh, literally, as we were going live on the air, uh, we had a crash in the system, and it it, uh, took the system down and uh, got back up momentarily, but then it started going down again. So we had to cancel this. Past Tuesday show. So, um, apologies to, to the listeners out there, but also uh, a special apology to uh, L- LPJ Master Professional uh, Deb uh, Vangelo. She was uh, the scheduled guest this past Tuesday with Cindy Miller and I, and unfortunately we had to cancel nearly last minute. And the week before, uh, the last 10 minutes uh, of the show. Uh, dropped as we were getting ready to wrap up so uh got it all sorted out and obviously i'm here tonight so everything seems to be working well again so again i just want to apologize for that Uh, i i promise you we'll have things in good order for next tuesday Mm -hmm. um but in the meantime just remind everybody of course uh we are live uh on golf talk live every thursday from 6 to 8 p.m central or 7 to 9 uh, for those of you on the east coast Uh, Go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or just go to blogtalkradio.com and just type in golf talk live up in the search key and that will take you to the main page and of course during the live broadcast you'll see us right there front center but if for some reason you can't join us uh, during the live broadcast not a problem Uh, just go to that link I just mentioned and scroll down to the on demand section. And you'll see the previously aired shows there, and you can listen to them at your leisure uh, whenever it's convenient for you. But uh, thank you for those of you that are able to join us live each and every week. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, If you want to speak or call in during the live broadcast on Thursday nights from 6 to 8 uh, central, the number to call is area code 646-716-4667. Or if you want to email me questions or comments about the show, you can do so at Ted golf talk live at gmail.com and if you're somebody that's interested if you're in the golf business whether you're uh, an instructor or coach or a uh, mental guru whatever you want to label yourself if you're interested in coming on the show and want to share your thoughts uh, and ideas with my audience I'd be more than happy to, to have you and entertain that uh, and get you set up in, in the mix uh, right now we're booked up uh, for all of July and working on August, September right now, so there's still some time coming up uh, before the summer finishes. Uh, again, you can reach out to me at Live at gmail.com. Uh, update, of course, every week on Facebook. Go to Facebook, Facebook.com, excuse me. Uh, search Golf Talk Live blog, that's BLLG on the end and uh, you'll see the page there. Or you can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO, and CEO, of course, is in capital letters. Uh, as I said, we had a special Coach's Corner uh, planned for this evening, and uh, still even even a better Coach's Corner is going to be planned tonight. Uh, my good friend, Mr. Byron Casper, uh, he's an international PGA member and also – uh, son of the late, legendary Billy Casper. He's on the, the panel tonight. And another good friend of mine, Mr. Tim uh, Kramer, he is the president and founder of uh, Spirit of Golf, LLC. He's been on the show many, many times as well. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to Coach's Corner. Thank, Thank you, very, you much. very much. I know that was a long, long-winded long introduction, so forgive me. Uh, for But I had to get all that out there, and, and I especially wanted to apologize to the audience tonight Um, just for those that that tune into the women's uh, women of golf show on Tuesdays, uh, just ran into some technical issues. And, and it just, you know, this, the one downside of technology, it's great and fantastic when it's working, right. But when you have a a few glitches uh, in the hardware, particularly uh, it, it can just uh, make it for an unpleasant uh, um, day. And and it's uh, my Tuesday was, was basically ruined, unfortunately. But nevertheless, we're here on Golf Talk Live Thursday night. So again, thank you everybody for joining me. All right, guys. Here's what we're going to do tonight. Um, I had something a little bit different planned, but what we're going to do, and um, Byron particularly, because you had mentioned about the British Open. Uh, of course, that's going to be next week, uh, July 10th to the 17th at Royal Troon. I have I, I have to
2: correct you one moment, Ted. All of my on? Scottish friends, all of my Scottish and English friends, would be rolling over right now if I didn't correct you, and if they're listening. Oh um <laughs> they like to they, they like to 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 have it called the open championship that's uh, right rather than the British Open and I know it's you're really right. funny
1: but it's, uh, it's <coughs> yeah. resting on their laurels for having it started yeah. starting there <laughs> you're, you know what you're right I'm so, you know what it's funny though I, I've gotten so used to over the years because it was always at one time it was always referred to as the British Open but you're right some years ago they did uh, did correct that and change it to, to the Open Championship so you're right my apologies to your, your Scottish uh, <laughs> friends out there and, and anyone else listening in you're right uh, thank you for, for correcting that Um but that's taking place next week. It's going to be at Royal Troon. And, uh, Byron, we want to talk about that, some of the preparations that they're going to make. We'll also talk a little bit about uh, what, your, what your dad did when he was getting ready to uh, to uh, play in some of the events. Uh, but uh, I want to start out with something just a little bit different. We're going to start off with the, with the ladies uh, here for just a second. Uh, something kind of caught my eye. And Cindy and I were starting to talk about this uh, on Tuesday morning uh, before our mishap. And I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to sort of uh, get your thoughts. And, Tim, I'm going to start with you first, if you don't mind. And then, Byron, I want you to jump in as well. Um, this past weekend, of course, uh, up in Portland, the LPJ ladies uh, played at, at a tournament there. And, of course, Brooke Henderson, who's also a fellow Canadian uh, to me, of course, uh, was the ultimate winner. That was our third win, I think, on the LPJ Tour. Um, but something that was very interesting that caught not only my eye, but I think just about everybody that was watching uh, on, on number 17, just as she was getting ready to close out on Sunday, uh, she hit really not a great shot on 17. But what was interesting about it was she was seen smiling and actually even joking uh, as she was walking up the fairway, um, which which caught a lot of the, even the, the other announcers off guard a little bit. Uh, you know, it was not the greatest shot that was hit, and uh, you know a lot of players would be a little bit frustrated, especially even though she had a two-shot lead, I believe at the time. Uh, and only a couple holes to play. Um, but, Tim, what was interesting is, obviously, this is not normal reaction for most players, even an advanced player, like as, as Brooke is. Um, I, I want you to talk about why that's a good thing, what she did, um, and, and composing herself in that manner. And what can an amateur take away from, from her demeanor on that particular uh, moment?
2: That's a great question, Ted. And and one of the things that uh, we work on or I work on with with my my players um, is the concept of of acceptance. And it's probably one of the most challenging skills that we can, uh, mind skills that we can work on. By acceptance I mean that once a shot has been hit, uh, we don't have to like it. And, in fact, we never will like it. Uh, but, But the whole idea of getting over it, uh, quickly and efficiently in order to move forward is is absolutely one of the most critical skills um, and, and not easy to do. Um, what I see the difference between a lot of tour players uh, and, and say amateurs is that amateurs tend to have a very, very difficult time getting over something they don't like. And in the process, uh, if they're lucky can pull it back together for a whole or two or whatever. Um, mm. A tour player uh, is not going to like it but but by and large if they're skilled at the mind game at all they're going to pull it together very quickly and um with the concept i believe of acceptance it's like done let's go and i think that's one of the most important skills that there is out there is the ability to let go of unwanted outcomes and and again that's that's a uh, that's not always an easy thing to do and certainly it's a trained practice but uh but uh, I highly, highly, highly encourage uh, players to consider that concept because without the ability to let go of unwanted shots, um, you're really revved up for the future in a way that you don't want to be.
1: Yeah, well, well said, Tim. I would um, say I, I,
2: could, I would almost say that that's that could be uh,
1: used as an example
2: for life as well. Uh, you know, sure. Uh, as far as not letting letting yourself get tied down with negative things happening in your life, so that you can be ready when the positive things happen.
1: Um, Byron, let me just—I want you to add on that just a little bit. Um, you know, as a player, I mean, you—you've played at a competitive level, and, and obviously you've you've watched your father play uh, over the years uh, in competitive tournaments. Uh, and, and as I, I sort of um, reiterated in the first part of the question, that's not normal. Even for advanced players. I mean, you know, if you, if, I don't know if you saw any part of the tournament or not to, to know exactly what I'm talking about, but basically, um, and I'm not saying that, uh, you know, you expect a tour player to be throwing their clubs or, or something like that, but it was really, uh, uh, again, it caught the, the eyes of the announcers and they were even surprised to me. Do you think that because she knew she was in the lead and there was a confidence in her game that day and that weekend, that that helped her? To have a, a, a more positive outlook going into, even though she might have been in trouble and and might not have uh, hit the best uh, shot on on 17, uh, she knew she only had a couple of holes to play. Uh, she had a, at least a two shot lead, I believe, might have even been a three shot lead. Um, is, is that confidence? Do you think taking over and, and and allowing her to stay in that positive mindset? She knows she can get the job done, and and she's just going to stay in that positive mindset.
2: You know, I think that's that's really exactly it. I think that when you're
1: playing really
2: well, um, one bad shot or two bad shots don't have the same effect on you um, if your round has been up and down. So, um, you know, I only saw the highlights, but, uh, you know, what I'm imagining is that she felt completely in control of her game, um, completely in control of her swing, And when she hit that bad shot, she knew what she had done wrong, and she knew it was an easy fix inside her own head. And so it was probably very easy for her to release that bad shot and go into the next uh, with a different mindset. And, you know, you you mentioned that I played competitively, which I I have in Europe. And, um, you know, Ted Ted knows me as a very honest person. um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I really wasn't that good of a golfer when I played competitively, I'm hoping to change that around a little bit when I get on the senior <laughs> champions tour, uh, in the next couple <laughs> of years. But, um, but you know, coming from a famous father who I think is still number seven in the world for tournament wins. Um, right. you know, it, it was a, it was a high bar to, to set for myself. And, um, and now at the ripe old age of 47, I don't, I don't mind admitting that I was probably the worst tour player on the planet. But the one time that I won, Uh, a a pro-am in England, I had that same feeling. It didn't matter if I hit a bad shot. I was having such a great time that day with the people that I was playing with, with my brother-in-law who was caddying for me. um, That one shot
1: really didn't have the same effect that it would in normal circumstances. Yeah. Well uh, well said as well, Byron. Um, And, and, you know, you're right. Again, every player is different and I think that one of the things that that people have to understand, especially the amateur golfers out there, they've got to understand, um, you know, they're they're not out practicing, they're not out playing at the same level that the tour pros, so they can't really, it's not a fair comparison. You know, you can't expect if you're playing, you know, once a week or once a month or maybe a couple times a month um, and and not, you know, practicing much in between, expect to uh, get out there and hit, you know, great golf shots all the time you're certainly going to hit your fair share of good ones but you're more often not if you're not out there unless you're an anomaly uh, and just have a a pure natural rhythm and talent um, you're going to have lots of ups and downs and challenges so you have to be prepared for that but it's how you um, prepare for these challenges that you're faced with Tim that's going to help them and this brings me to the point I want to talk about tonight is about focus now there are four types of focus we're going to sort of brush over them here a little bit. Um, Tim, I'm going to get you to to sort of expand on them a little bit, talk about it, again, from the emotional and and mental side of things. And then, Byron, we're going to sort of put them in uh, to perspective uh, in in play and and how you would handle uh, that specific uh, focus. And and, and the four focuses are this, uh, a a broad attentional focus, a narrow focus, uh, an external attentional focus, and an internal attentional focus. I'm going to give you, and I, I know you guys know this, but I'm just going to, for the sake of the audience, just sort of give a a quick example. Then, Tim, I want you to talk about the first one. For for a broad attentional focus, we're talking about golfers um, that are are essentially focusing on several things. For instance, that might be alignment of the club, uh, the ball, and and where, in case if they were putting, where to place the putt. They're looking at their intended target and so forth. Um, So they might be thinking about two or three things. Um, From, from I guess, a a coach's standpoint, what do you want your players – um, really, to be focusing on when they're sort of tapping into that initial uh, broad attentional focus, Tim. What are you trying to get your your students um, to think about when they're getting ready, whether it be for a golf shot or even a golf round? Um, and, and what are you trying to guard against them overthinking? Yeah,
2: yeah, it's a great question, and and I guess that I I look at it probably a lot differently than uh, most people. Um, I believe. Great focus is the byproduct of the emotional state of mind, so that when we're, right. when we're in a good mood, we have the ability to really focus very cleanly and clearly uh, and accurately. And when the emotions are all out of control and we're out of control and whatever, that's when the eyes get very rapid and, and, and thoughts get very rapid, decisions get very rapid. So I think the best way to learn to focus it would be as the emotional tool, uh, using the breath to really, really slow down. Uh, enough so that we feel comfortable with our level of focus. And and so that, therefore, the things that we're taking in, it's kind of like we're taking them in, we're observing them. Uh, And I'm not so much concerned as a coach what they're taking in. Most of the players I work with, uh, and even in my playing days, I feel like, like really take in the good stuff, but I did it in a way that felt good. And by doing that, I I guess that I felt like I was focused then in a way that I really liked being focused. I'm not sure that answers your question, but I just think the emotions. Emotions are really what's setting up, to me, uh, high states of of mental clarity and focus.
1: Uh, And again, well said. No, that's exactly what I want. You know, as I said, this worked out perfect tonight, um, Byron, uh, as well, having you on board, because I I wanted to be able to – um, look at this from, from really both angles. Um, and, and Tim, I know that you, you do play yourself in that, but um, uh, I wanted to sort of from a, from a coach uh, standpoint and from a teacher standpoint, and then I also really wanted from a player standpoint. So this sort of works well into the wheelhouse. So Byron, uh, again, I want to pose this question to you. We're, we're talking about sort of a broad attentional focus again. Um, you know, when you're coming up to a hole, let's say any given hole, there's several things that you're thinking about. Certainly when it comes time to execute the shot, you're going to, you know, be maybe thinking of one swing key thought or something like that. But as you stepped up maybe to the first tee or, or an important hole, what were, you know, as sort of a broad sweep, what were some of the things that you were looking at and focusing on uh, at that particular time?
2: Well, it's interesting. I'm, I'm going to use uh, two examples, actually, uh, my own and also when I caddied for uh, my father uh, on the PGA okay. tour and on the senior PGA tour, because his, his routine was slightly different than mine, and I think it, it comes down to uh, what Tim was saying a moment ago about focus. Um, you know, my routine was I never really worried when I was over the bag. Um, that was, that was my, my time. That was my, my getting lost in my head time. Um, and I can think about anything. But once I had that club um, in my left hand first and I was standing behind the ball, that's when everything else shut down. Every single thing shut down in my head, and I became focused on the shot that I wanted to hit and nothing else. Um, dad, on the other hand, um, and I would—I I should have deferred to him, considering you know—it it just goes to show. it Doesn't matter how famous he is, if he's your dad, you don't listen to him. <laughs> um, but you know, his routine was a lot different. His routine started at the back, and I'm going to use an example that happened at the Vintage Club in Palm Springs at a senior event there when I was catting for him at 19 years old. And I made the mistake of handing him a sandwich when he had a, a 20, 20, foot, maybe 25 foot sand shot around the green. Um, and it may not seem like a big mistake because of course he was going to use his sand wedge, but for him, that was a mistake. That fouled up his routine, his thinking patterns right. and everything else. And he took the sandwich from me, threw it back in his bag, and then started his whole routine over again. <laughs> right. Um, I, I remember that correctly because it was on ESPN, and I took a lot of stick from my friends um, for being yelled at <laughs> by my dad on TV. But um, at the end of the day, I think everybody has to find what works for them. And I think personality comes into it. I think, and I could be wrong, but I have a slightly more excitable personality than my dad ever did. And so right. I think for me, Standing behind the ball and focusing for that limited period of time, as opposed to adding an extra 30 seconds to a minute to it, um, like Dad did, I think is more personality-based than anything else. But I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's that's a great point. And I think also too, and, and again, I'm not saying in every case, but I would I would hazard to say that if you were to compare, um, let's say, Gary or, or Jackie Nicholas to to Jack's Uh, a way of approaching things i i would say jack's uh focus if you will was probably more along it may not be exactly the same but more along the lines of your fathers and i think there's a certain generational thing too i think that generation of player um you know seem to um have a different way of focusing and and preparing for each shot than i think some of the younger generation if you look at on the pj today um, you know, certainly they have a pre-shot routine, but it's not the way it was, in my opinion, anyways, from what I've seen on TV. They, they seem to approach it differently than what I remember uh, some of the greats of, of yesteryear, if you will, and like your father and, and Jack and, and Arnie and that. They just approach things well, yeah, uh, very you, differently.
2: You know I'll tell you what I picked up on the tour, and I'd love to hear your thoughts and both of your thoughts on this, but what I picked up on the tour more than anything in the last, let's say, two to five years is the level of patience that these players have nowadays. They have a level of patience with their own games and with the media and everything going on around them that, you know, my dad and, and other great players of, of that era really didn't have to, to deal with. It's an extra component that players now have to deal with. And so if, if they don't have patience while they're waiting for this shot or waiting for somebody to finish, um, you know, I think it's a non-starter. And, uh, and I'm really impressed with the patience that these youngsters have nowadays.
1: Yeah, and I I would I would concur with that. Tim, that raises an interesting question that I you know never really thought of uh, and, until just now when Byron mentioned that. But um, he's exactly right. If you look at you know until sort of Arnie came charging on the scene, you know TV at that time was not really you know obviously it was wasn't until Arnie came on the scene that the TV became big in golf. Right. Right. Um, so you know they didn't have the pressure. They didn't have social media like they do nowadays. Um, your, your thoughts on that. What do you think about uh, what Byron just said? You know, the, the players today, I, I guess they're conditioned differently, uh, for lack of better words, than what the players were back in, in you know, Billy Casper and, and Jack and, and Arnie's and some of the sure. other ones sure. during their day. Uh, well, what are your all, thoughts yeah. on that?
2: Yeah, first of all, I, I love what uh, Byron was saying about personality because I, I totally agree that everybody kind of has that that inner rhythm or that inner um, sure. that inner tempo or whatever that – that really, when they play their best golf, they're adhering to that. They're they're not they're not outside that 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 cadence. And for some some players, it's very quick. For others, it's more methodical and deliberate. So I, I definitely agree with that. And I think think that's a huge, huge, huge part of the uh, equation. Uh, getting back to the concept of patience, however, we could say that you know I guess that if Byron was talking a little bit about you know even golf skills being life skills before. Yeah, and so the whole patience factor, you could throw that out there too, that we're really inundated with social – everybody's inundated these days with a right. quicker pace in a way from social media and from the Internet and, and, and really in the information age in a way that, that most of us are inundated with, uh, you know, with, with how many countless emails and texts every day that we didn't have those, uh, those media. Uh, 20, 30 years ago. So so right. I do believe that, that there are potentially more reasons to get distracted. But yet, to me, the ability to focus and to stay focused on a single task at hand really hasn't changed. And and so the ability to eliminate distractions, I don't care if it's, you know, 1, 5, 10, or 100, uh, to hmm. really get into the moment, of, of peak performance to me is still the same, and it's still the brain um, l- learning and uh, to do it in a way, both mentally and emotionally, that that uh, puts a player uh, into states of peak performance.
1: Right. So patience, right. Uh, again,
2: patience is required. Patience is required. There's no doubt about that. But you take a volatile player and, and they, can, they can have anything go wrong in the middle of their backswing and they'll lose their composure. You can take somebody who's committed to being focused committed to being in a good mental and emotional space uh, who's really rock solid and it really isn't going to matter too much. They'll get recomposed very quickly.
1: Yeah, you, but you well, know here's something the, here's though. Well, a question
2: on that vein, if you don't mind. Yeah, that, I could ask.
1: That's yeah, go ahead. A question
2: on that on that note. Um, I know I know of an example. I have two teenagers that I'm I'm currently working with, and um and and one of them confounds me, and the other is very much an even keel player, like you had just said, Tim. But the younger of the <clears throat> two is the most aggressive, angry yeah. player I've ever known, and yeah. yet he is easily. Ten times better than his older brother, and he the the more angry he gets on the golf course, the better golfer he becomes. And I've never seen that in that particular circumstance. So I guess my question, Tim, is is that something that you see a lot, or is that just a strange one-off? circumstance that you're going to find every now and then? Yeah, yeah that's, that's, well, a great, that's, a, that's a really great question. And, and in my opinion, um, because he's a younger golfer, uh, well, first of all, I guess I go with more of, a, of, a, of an emotional energy model that would suggest that anger, even within the cells of the body, is, is not as productive in the long run of an energy as is, is joy and optimism and belief, that those are uh-huh. energies. The other thing is I will maintain every time you cannot be in the zone and angry in the same moment. So while he uh-huh. might be producing at a high level uh, right now, um, right. you don't see a lot of players at the top level anymore. We've kind of, I think, outgrown that into players who, who get very, very, very focused for a shot. They hit the ball. Uh, they start walking down the fairway, they're talking to each other, they're smiling, they're laughing. I really think the game is evolving that way. And and I think the reason that it is is because, to me, those are, uh, those are energies that within even the cells of the body, the muscles and the joints, um, it, it loves states of flow and ease. Those aren't going to lock up the body as quickly as states of anger. And so I guess that's what I would say on that. Now, he may be producing at a very high level right now, but – but uh, I think that could be an accident waiting to happen.
1: You know, yeah. And, and, I, and I, let me I've just, always wondered if he was going
2: to hit a wall. So that's that's a great answer. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, yeah. let me just. Uh, well, and two again, quick I point. would go to the. So I would go back to the zone, and I'm just not. Uh, yeah, then Tim. But I would go back to the zone. When we're in the zone, there's no there's no anger involved in the zone.
1: Yeah, you're it's exactly just a right. Blissful,
2: blissful, peaceful place.
1: Yep, and uh, we all want to get there, uh, you know, as often as possible. and That uh, seems to elude many golfers. Let me just, uh, two quick <laughs> points um, on the on the anger. Um, a, a player that comes to mind that, that sort of fits that model, uh, Byron, is Rory Sabertini. Uh, he was very yes. much like that yes. earlier on in the PGA Tour. Um, you don't see, obviously, him very much anymore. But, you know, he was one of those players. I mean, he hated slow play. If I mean, I remember a couple times, I mean, he literally called out on people right in the middle of a tournament um, was very, very vocal um, about that. So he was sort of fit in that model, I think, as well. And, and again, you know, he may have hit that wall as a result of it. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I don't know him personally, but that would be a good contender for, for your youngster to, to take note of um, and maybe point out to, you know, if you can get your hands on some old footage of, of Rory Sabatini and see how he handled himself, because he did quite quite angry on the golf course. But I want to go back real quick, guys, just um, something that that I was thinking about as we were talking about, you know, the different social media and the pressures and that. You know, something that the players that don't have, they they have a lot of cameras and they've got a lot of social media um, exposure. But the one thing that they don't have the same exposure, I don't think that some of the earlier players had, and and both of you I'm sure will understand once I make the point. Um, You know, back in the day, if you will, again, when television was first coming up, they didn't have the ropes the same as they do now. The gallery actually intermingled quite often with the players. I can remember seeing some old footage of, of uh, you know, Jack and Arnie and some of these other guys walking up the fairway. And, you know, there were, a, you know, a couple of thousand people walking beside them. They got very close to the gallery. You don't see that now unless somebody hits an errant tee shot uh, or an errant, uh, you know, shot on the, on the course. Uh, you know, they're, they're very well roped off. And, you know, they're certainly along the sides of the fairway and around the greens. Uh, but there were a lot of times, I remember watching some of the old shell uh, challenges and things like that, where literally, I'm sure, uh, Byron, your, your dad probably felt, you know, some of the gallery breathing down his neck when he was, you know, hitting a shot. They were that close. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that? I mean, that, that certainly had to have added pressure to these guys. Uh, they weren't used to that. Yeah, they they certainly
2: weren't. Although I will say that most of the players that played in Europe um or overseas um uh were more used to it than than even the Americans right. were. Um and if I'm not mistaken, I believe they still do that at most European uh, tour events, um at the very least on the the final day um right. with the final group and allow them to kind of come in behind them, so to speak.
1: You know, Right. I, and they I
2: do, think guys like Yeah, my, they do that you know, here sometimes. Daughter, yeah, I've seen him do that here a couple times. But I think people like my father—I I can think of a of a dozen examples. You know, Gary Player, um, you know Orville Moody, um, you know one right. of the one of the greats that never really got a lot of attention. Um, you know, all of these different players—Nicholas Palmer, um, Player, Dad—you know—they they, they had an element to their style and to their golf games that was almost a little bit of a showmanship. And right, um, and, and I think that. Nowadays, we have a little bit of that. But back then, we had a lot of guys that were confident, that were a little cocky, that were very secure with sure. what they could do with the golf club. And so being given the opportunity to show off a little bit um, was never something that was going to bother any of them. Um, it was it was them being in their element because most of them that were playing on the tour back then played a lot of side games and a lot of pro, pro-am type type events and a lot of things where they were showing off anyway in order to build their brand and their name.
1: Right. I I think though, a lot of those players too, Byron, and and certainly feel free to correct me if if you think I'm wrong, but I I think there was more of a country club feel back in that time. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, As opposed to now it's more, it's, it's treated more like a sport. So in other words, they're, they're more athletic. They're more, it's more sports driven sports minded where back then it was more of the, these are some great guys that, that belong to you know various clubs and that that are getting out and they've more or less and I'm talking early time on the PJ tour of course they formed this tour and, and really it was the first opportunity for the average you know Joe out there to see some great players. And yeah, there was a lot of showmanship. There was you know you certainly didn't see it necessarily in the tournaments, but um you know, even a little ribbing. I mean Lee Trevino comes to mind. I mean there was a lot of ribbing going on in the golf course, you know, when he was out with some of these players where now it, it, again it's more they they're considered more athletic they're more athletes now as opposed to um you know like i said a country club feel if you will um i want to move very quickly totally guys agree. so we don't get, yeah so we won't fall behind here um getting back to focus of course now we're talking about narrow focus and this is obviously an example of the ball. Now you're focusing on one key issue. Tim, I want you to start us off on this one, if you wouldn't mind. Um, when's it time to, to narrow the focus, if you will? Uh, what, what do you try to encourage your players to do? Um, you know, Initially, when they're getting ready to come up to the shot, they're a little bit more broad with yeah. their focus, but now it's time to narrow in. What are you getting them to narrow in and Why?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I really like having my players target uh, target oriented. Um, I think too much of what I and a big difference between uh, amateurs and professionals touring professionals is where their eyes are focused. Um, most most amateurs in their pre shot routine will be very 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 swing oriented, and and uh, uh, when you get to the tour level, you see that they're very target oriented. So. Um, the thing that I work on with my players and my better players is in the routine, to get very specific, is I'll have them stand behind the ball. And as they do, they really take in a deep breath. And, and it's really the breath that anchors them into the target. Um, I have them get the eyes a little bit soft so that it's not a staring contest. And then really in that moment where they feel emotionally that they're ready to go, at that point it's just they, they, they go to the ball and they give the target a final look and then they just go. So it really ties in what Byron was saying that he's just he's, he's a he's a he's a quicker player and, and that is what I'm right. seeing. Um, and the reason that I like that Personally, I just think that time on the golf course, uh, at least in the shot itself, time is really not our friend because um, there's a lot of time for a lot of thoughts that we do not want to be thinking to creep into our hands. And so, Mm -hmm. the more Mm -hmm. the the more efficiently, the more efficient that we can make the routine. and, and, And I'm not talking about rushing the shot ever but i'm talking about having a nice cadence to it where we're we're aligned with the shot mentally physically emotionally and i think that's what produces uh, the the good stuff that we see
1: yeah um byron from a from a playing standpoint again very quickly what what did you focus on when when uh, you know when you had to narrow your focus obviously again coming up to the shot you you had certain swing (laughs) thoughts things that you were preparing for but when it came down to sort of crunch time to execute the shot um what were you thinking about at that time and and then i want to ask you i want you to sort of um just to, to what tim was just talking about here um you know about sort of quickening up that pace and and obviously not you know not rushing through the shot but um maybe having a, a quicker pace, um, you know, why why does that work for you as opposed to maybe something that your dad did?
2: Yeah, let me um, answer that one first because I'm going to refer back to what Tim said a moment ago, um, and that is that, um, you know, as far as being quick, you know, there's so many thoughts that can happen on the golf course. And so for me personally, um, I wanted to focus on as, you know, and, and make that focus as, as least time-consuming as possible because you don't know when that good feeling is going to happen. And, you know, Tim said a second ago about how, you know, once you get, feel that emotional place that you, you know the shot you need to hit, you know where it's going to go, then it's just literally ready to pull the trigger. Um, for me, I have tried it both ways. I've tried a dad's way. I've, I've aimed for the high side of the green. Um, I've taken the pins out. Um, I once had a a coach about three years ago that I still work with that tried to change the dynamic, and he said, forget about the large part of the green. Forget about trying to get it uphill or downhill. I want you to focus laser-like on the pin, and that's where I want you to hit the ball. And I've been amazed at at how using that strategy – um, and he used Tim's idea of softening the eyes a little bit, so it's not a staring contest, so you feel very comfortable. Right. Um, but you know that's that's what I I've come to the conclusion for me personally that's going to work. Now that's on a stereotypical 150 yard shot. Right. We, you know, as we all know, those don't happen very often. Um, right. You know, there's all sorts of things that come into it, where the pit is, the weather conditions, wind, etc. So. In a perfect world, I would say laser-like focus, but, but, but for me, um, right there on the pin. Um, and once I feel that good feeling, I pull the trigger. Sometimes that's really fast. Um, sometimes it's 30 seconds longer. But I try to wait, as Tim said, and I totally agree. I try to wait for that comfortable, um, uh, safe emotional feeling. Yeah, it's like an aha moment that, okay, good, we're, we're, we're ready. It's good. Let's go. Yeah, um, that's exactly yeah. what it is. That's what I say in my head. Actually, funny yeah. enough, it's yeah. is I say, okay, yeah. you're ready. Yeah, you, you're yeah. ready. Do it, and that's it. Yeah, but to to rush that to rush that feeling is not going to work. Or to slow it down too much. Now the, the the okay the now what goes through their heads is oh my gosh, this is taking too long that's not where we want it to be either. So, so it really is almost a very natural kind of, uh, of uh, the eyes are in on the target, the breathing is happening, and the feeling really comes to you that, you know, it's just like, yeah, this is as good as I got, let's go. Uh, you know, I can't explain you know, it other than to say this, and that is that good players, and, and I've talked to a lot of them, but good players always have a point in their swing, Ted, where they feel complete and utter peace, and control. I've known I've known web.com players that I'm friends with that, that can take it up to the top and at the very top of their swing decide at the last moment if they feel the wind come up on where they're going to swing down and through the ball. I've got other players right. that that starts on the, the first three feet back. For me personally, if I get to that 3 o'clock position in my backswing the way I want to, then I am 99% certain the ball is going to go exactly where I want it to. So I think good players all will have some trigger in the middle of their swings at some point
1: where they feel that level of control. Right. Right. Well said. Um, I, I want to move on just a little bit uh, again with focus, but I want to bring in, we talked about the open, um, you know, Byron and, and Tim, you know, a lot of these guys are preparing or ha- and have been preparing um, for really what's going to be a very difficult test of, of golf and, You know, these guys play week in, week out at various different golf courses. But as you know, Byron, from first hand experience playing over there, uh, you know, at golf courses like Royal Troon and some of the other ones over there, Carnoustie and and so forth, it's a much different style and way of playing golf than it is here. Um, The challenges are different. You know, here we tend to hit a little higher, softer. Uh, shot coming into the green and over there, you know, it, you're executing more of a, in many cases, like a bump and run style shot or, a, uh, you know, a lower shot trajectory, uh, in order to play into some of the conditions that you might be faced. But so obviously focus becomes a huge, huge factor. Byron, I'm going to let you, even though I know you finished, I'm gonna let you go first on this one. And then Tim, I want you to, to, uh, uh, jump in well, for next week. Um, What's going through their mind right now?
2: Well, the first thing I'm going to I'll say, two things. And that is the, first is, uh, is the first thing I always check when it's Open Championship Week is the weather, specifically when it's on a, uh, on a, on a course that is on the coast. Uh, Royal Troon is one of my favorites. My ex-wife was from about 10 minutes south of there. So when I lived in Scotland, uh, we made it to the west coast um, every month or so to go and visit the in-laws played a lot of golf at at Royal Troon and up and down the coast, off down to Turnberry. Um, You're right about the different style of of game. Um, Playing Lynx golf, specifically when there's wind coming off of the sea, changes the dynamic of everything. Um, You may hit a 7-iron, 175 yards in a perfect world, but there's going to be circumstances on that course where – 175 yards is going to – you're going to have to hit a hybrid into the wind and try to keep it down. Um, There's a lot of circumstances, and so I would say that you have to be a a shot maker. You have to be almost the the ideal or the best shot maker of the week um, in order to pull off a wind on that course, and that is very dependent on the weather. Now, you know, if we have 75-degree days and no wind – you're going to see some really low scores because you can rip those courses up if, you know, in ideal conditions. But you add some wind in there, a little overcast, you know, skies, maybe even a little bit of, of rain. And those players are going to have to
1: really understand what they're capable of in order to score. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. Um, Tim, what, what type of player, what kind of player is going to have an advantage um next week uh... you know if yeah. you look at history yeah. uh... give you an example um, you know a player like nicholas who, who had that sort of high fade um, certainly you know has, has done fairly well over the years at the opens but those weren't really his his best golf his best golf right. was playing as i said more here right. then you take a player right. like like tom watson who virtually right. cleaned up at the opens uh, solid ball striker <laughs> but just what type of player is going to have an advantage going in next week
2: yeah. You know, I, I guess I, I go a little bit more to the, to, um, I, I certainly agree with what I was saying and that it is the shot makers. There's, there's no doubt about that. And I think that's what I love about the open as much as anything is you probably see more shop making over there than you do in any of the other majors. Uh, True. maybe the U S maybe the U S open a little bit, but it's not just platform golf. And, 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 and I love it because of that, but, I guess I have to go with it's going to be the ones who are the most (laughs) patient in terms of of just, you know, accepting that there's going to be some crazy stuff going on. And, you know, can you, can you handle the challenges? And can you, can you accept that uh, uh, the ball, not every ball is going to go where you want it to go. I don't care how good you're hitting it, how well you're hitting it. And and you're going to have some crazy stuff happening. And, And to me, that's really going to be the the player who, you know, yes, it's going to have to be a great ball striker, but there's a lot of great ball strikers on tour, but there's not as many maybe patient players on tour. And and we certainly see that every year in the U.S. Open with guys that are just shaking their heads and yelling and screaming and rolling their eyes, you know. And and then you look at a guy like Dustin Johnson, who just kind of looks like he's just impervious to to everything that's happening out there. And so, you know, I guess i got to – got to, you know hats but hats off to him because man he looked good in the US open and he just looked like he wasn't going to get phased by anything and of course of course you right. know the, the 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 ball on the final day and whatever man oh man the media
0: sure yeah. wanted to go with that
2: one and and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, he just Seemed to handle it just in stride, and uh, I was very, very happy for him. But it just—it was like he was so focused; there wasn't anything that was going to throw him off. And so that's what I'm—that's what I'm seeing. And of course, you know, to get in that position, you've got to hit the ball well. There's no doubt about that. But you better have the good mind game too.
1: Yeah, and I well, mean, and,
2: and don't go- you notice that he—he he wouldn't have won the U.S. Open had he not been going back to the very first thing you said, Tim, and that is if he wasn't in a good, positive, happy place, well, he wouldn't I have been able so, to, you I know, so, so, so I, that's my feeling. Yeah, I mean, he hit some crazy shots, too, but, you know, the other ones I saw, I saw, I, I always see in the U.S. Open what always fascinates me is, is guys who most weeks of the year remain fairly calm, or they seem like they're pretty composed, all of a sudden you throw them into the Open, and they become like they become like infants. And I just find it uh, amusing that they think that, that you're going to get the job done with that kind of, uh, you know, with those kind of roller coaster emotions. And generally, now, of course whoever's playing well, but, but, and that's maybe a little bit of the chicken and the egg. Are they playing well because their emotions are in a good place or, or are the emotions in a good place because they're playing well. And they, and to me, the two obviously feed upon each other, but
1: yeah, I think it's going to
2: be somebody who has a common, a good combination of both next week.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that as well, Tim, you know, something else just sort of on that again, as we get close to, to wrapping up here, God, it's hard to believe this time is already flying by. Um, you know, going back to, to this whole focus uh, conversation that, you know, what's interesting about the today's player, um, you know, they're, they're all, you know, relatively good ball strikers uh, compared to one another. I mean, they're ph- phenomenal compared, to, of course, the amateurs. But compared to one another, there's, you know, there's a few that maybe stand out as exceptionally good ball strikers, but they're all generally um, fairly equal in that category. But you don't see the players standing out the same as they did twenty, thirty years ago, and what I mean by that is, um with the exception of Tiger and a little bit of uh, you know Phil to some degree, you don't see anyone really dominating. Um, you know and, and does that fall into to focus? Do you like for an example, Tiger uh, had an incredible focus as Jack did, um more so than virtually any other player on tour. And that's why I think they were able to – it's not that Jack – certainly we know Jack was not a better ball striker than, than everybody else on the, on the tour at that time. Um, and, and and Tiger, even though he could hit it long and, and could hit some phenomenal shots, if you compared him stat-wise to many of the other players out there, he was not the best ball striker either. But their their intensity and the way that they were able to manage their focus and their emotions on the golf course set them apart from everyone why are we not seeing that now in today's sport? And everybody always comes up with the argument, well, they're all you know, great players now. I don't buy that. Um, there were lots of great ball strikers. Byron, I, I want to get your thoughts first, and then, Tim, I want to get your thoughts on that as well. Why are we not seeing anybody dominating the way we did um, with the exception of Tiger? Well, I think it is because there's a lot of great players,
2: but I have to add a caveat to that, and that is that golf, is a sport, thanks to the First Tee and and other programs, including a program that I'm launching in our golf courses called Kids on Course, that is specifically targeting, giving the youth of today the opportunity to play the game the same way that we did before. But there's a lot more people nowadays than there were before. And there is a huge amount um, of golfers out there that, Never would have been given perhaps the opportunity to play the game to the level that they are um, right a good example is uh, a good as a good good friend of mine, uh, a young man that I have a lot of respect for and that I have practiced uh, next to at Thanksgiving point a lot and that's Tony fannell and um, he's incredibly talented and his head is on straight and um, and you know he's going to do some great things um, in the coming years, but will he dominate? No, I don't think anybody's going to dominate ever again because there are just too many good golfers. You have to think. Think of how how much this, how many tour players there were 20 years ago compared to sure. now. I think think there's an additional couple thousand. And um, yeah. and so you know, with with that said, the more numbers you have, um, the better talent that's going to be out there. And and so you know, I know it's kind of a, a, a generic answer, but I really do think that's that's the nuts and bolts of it.
1: Well, I, I and I agree to a certain degree uh, with you, Byron, I, I, and, and Tim, I want you to jump in here as well with your thoughts, but I, I agree, I think that there is a numbers game, but I would still think that you would see at least two or three um you know, each year on the PGA Tour, that sort of rise to the top. And you saw that a little bit, again, with, with Tiger and, and, again, Phil, and there were a few others that sort of resonated. But now you're seeing, um, you know, every week it seems, uh, obviously with except in the U.S. Open and, and then Dustin's win, his back-to-back win, but, you know, you're seeing uh, sort of uh, the scales tipping, like one week it's this player, next week it's that player. There doesn't seem to be even a, a, a flurry of players, Tim, that are coming out two or three or maybe even four guys out of all these players that are sort of rising to the top. Uh, it just seems that the top ten are sort of shuffling Rory. You know, they're shuffling the deck, uh, it seems, every week. Um, right. what, are, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, it, you know, I agree with Byron in that I do think it's a numbers game. But, but I'm fond of saying that if we took, if we took 100 players of, of equal physical size with near-identical swing swings um, uh, equal diet, equal training habits, equal education, equal whatever. In my opinion, two or three would thrive, and 97 or 98 would not. And then if you pooled all of those two together with, with two from, you know, however uh, many pools, and you put those all together, because I think this is what we see in junior golf right now. You, 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 see, right. you see kids that are, you know, they go up to the next level. And then you've got, of that next 100, of that new 100, you see two or three that move on, and most who do not. So, so it is kind of a numbers game. But I, I do agree that there is so much talent out there now that, that you know, any given week, anybody who's really tapped into something, and, and golfers are notorious, I think because of the complexity in some ways of the move. You know, the, the right. golf swing really... Really, physiologically, the golf swing has probably more moving components than just about any other sport. And so you see somebody that taps into something week by week by week. They, they find their putter some week, or they, they, they lose their driver the next week, and so they're not in it anymore. So I think that's why uh, we're seeing so much talent. But, but, from you know, you still have that group that really believes in themselves that will be the top 10 or 20 players consistently until they lose that factor to me belief is the factor that really separates everybody and when when you and, and i do think that that jack and, and tiger and really everybody in their day had that belief factor that they were invincible and they were maybe until they lost the belief factor they, yeah. they you know i think they did very much so i'd be curious to find out what you thought of the superstitious aspect of players like in dad's era and and sooner as opposed to now because, you know, yeah. I can remember days when people wanted to use a certain cutter. Um, sure. You know, if they, if sure. they lost their yeah. <laughs> cutter, if they were going to withdraw that week. If they, right. Right. Know, if, if they weren't hitting their driver, they reverted back to right. their 10-year-old driver. I mean, there's lots of things that sure. you don't really see nowadays, you know? Well, well, and I love the question because in my mind, it ties uh, exactly into what I believe, which is that they believe it works. And as long right. as you believe it works, then it will work. But in, as soon as in, and this is the problem with the mind game is once you let once you let conditions outside of you start affecting your belief, you're in big trouble um, it's, yeah. in other words, I'll believe I'm a great player as long as the ball's going in, and my whole contention <laughs> is no we've got to get you believing in you, and then the ball will start going in because otherwise it's just too shaky and and so it's the same with new equipment, and I love new equipment, but it's what I call you know the The two-week syndrome, I buy a new putter, it works great for two weeks. And then all of a sudden they're not going in anymore. And what I'm saying is, yeah, same brain that's processing information the same way, that's really hopeful for a couple weeks that, oh, man, this might just be it. And then in two weeks we go back to the same brain that looks at things the same way and, and goes right back to the to the very conditions that cause the putter now not to work. And it's not really the putter that isn't working as much as the way we're processing the information and our thoughts and our emotions surrounding that situation. Well yeah, I'm glad it, you, you validated because i thought that for a yeah. long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well but, I always well, think it, you it, believe it's for- it was when you believe it worked, it did. And when you stop believing it, it, it didn't work. And, of course, it didn't work anymore. So it really, you know, but, but the issue, of course, is how how do you access states of belief when things aren't going well? And there's the million dollars question for the mind game right
1: there. Right. And it, and it goes back to, you know, uh, I've said many times in the past on the show, you know, with, with uh, going on the equipment theme here for a second – um you know a lot of people bought into the same thing well if i get that new driver i'm going to get those 10 20 30 extra yards um with with virtually no changes to their golf swing or game or what have you um just that piece of equipment and there was uh, initially you know they were hitting it up you know like like you wouldn't believe as you said tim what same with putter yeah. uh but at the end of the day you know it was 400 dollars that they could have spent a little bit more wisely uh, in my opinion um getting some some good lessons and good instruction or or you know maybe a few uh, range balls and get out there and work on your game instead of you know hoping and praying that uh, you know a new piece of equipment and it 's fun who doesn 't like to go out and treat themselves once in a while, but uh, I think sure. this has added a level of frustration as well with a lot of the amateurs out there for a long time, and I think' they 're wisening up now many of them but uh, you know but uh, I think that obviously that was a very effective marketing campaign that went on for quite a long time with the equipment manufacturers uh, getting everybody to to change out equipment. Um, very quickly and rapidly, uh, and, and just not getting the results. So, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot more behind the scenes and in between the ears uh, out in the golf course. And hopefully tonight we've, we've peeled back a few layers of, of that onion and that uh, we'll certainly have more discussion on that. But guys, I want to thank you very much, uh, um, uh, for, for coming on tonight and, and, and sharing that and, and talking about, uh, you know, some of the fo- focus aspects. We didn't get a chance to, to finish the last two and unfortunately I'm out of time, but, um, We'll get that on another show, but uh, Tim, as always, uh, great having you on the program. A lot of a uh, lot of insight and, and just a, a pleasure having you on here. Uh, very quickly, Tim, how can the folks reach out to you if they want to learn more about Spirit of Golf? Yeah,
2: best way to reach me would be uh, through the the website, which is www.myspiritofgolf.com, and uh, I'm of course located in uh, in South Florida, but I also have uh, offices up in Ohio, so. Work with a lot of juniors and uh, everywhere from junior on the, all the way up to, of course, uh, uh, the tour players, Jim Herman being my marquee player right now. And so, uh, uh, would love to hear from you and, and do clinics all over the country and, and perhaps uh, soon over in, in Europe too. So, uh, uh, mine clinics that are very specific to uh, skill development in the mine area.
1: Well, Tim is always yeah it, it, Tim's a g- a great guy. I love having him on the on the program uh, wealth of information and, and definitely go to um for those of you tuning to the show go to myspiritofgolf.com, dot com um not only to get uh wind of some great information but uh, to find out your schedule i believe is on there as well Tim as far as some of your events yeah, that it, coming it is up, so. and the
2: other thing it, it is and the other thing we do is uh, there there's a thought of the day there's no charge for that and that thought goes out throughout the world every day. Uh, we have thousands of readers, and it's just kind of a, yep. a uh, it's I, g- I guess a thought on the mind game, man. So uh, it's very well yep. received. So that's a free thing, and they can sign that uh, up uh, for that on the homepage of the website
1: too. Perfect, uh, Tim. Thank you, and, and Byron, my good friend. How can uh, the folks that want to get a hold of you? How can they reach out uh, if they want to uh, be welcomed into the wonderful world of uh, Mr. Byron Casper?
2: Well, I'm going to give you uh, our website for uh, our, our golf academy and also my, uh, my email address because I've got a new one that's very easy to remember. So my email is bcgolfpro. Told you it was easy to remember. <laughs> yep. um, bcgolfpro at live, L-I-V-E dot com. And the website is com. You'll be able to uh, uh, send me a note. Um, and also find out uh, what the future of our golf academies in Southern California, as well as Southern Utah, uh, and what's happening there. So certainly enjoyed being on the show, Ted. Um, I learned a lot. Well, I usually do because you have some great, great speakers on. Um, and, Tim, I look forward to, uh, to speaking with you uh, personally as well as on a show in the future. That would be awesome. And, Ted, thanks again. Always a pleasure to be on the show
1: well i appreciate it and and it's you know as i've said many many times on the show and and i will say it again tonight uh it's really through your efforts and and your cooperation and and uh and giving of your time freely uh coming on the show that that really helps it to to make it what it is and and i get lots of phenomenal feedback all through social media people enjoy listening to the to the show of course it's a a global program now and have had some great guests over the years and uh... looking forward to having you guys come back on and sharing some of your thoughts and views and we're going to keep the the needle moving upwards as they say and and uh... helping some of those golfers out there some of the the new ones to the game and some of those that have been around for a little while we're going to help them as best we can uh... right here in golf talk live and particularly on the coaches corner panel so guys thank you very much uh... byron to you and your your uh, fellow scotsman if you will. <laughs> <laughs> Would you uh, apologize <laughs> on my behalf and tell him I'm going to be watching the Open, not the British Open, the Open next week. The Open navigation. O- you're, back, yeah, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're backtracking. Yeah, you're backtracking
2: very well, Ted. You're doing a great job. Yeah. All
1: right. All right, yeah, yeah, gentlemen. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, and have a great, uh, great weekend. God bless to both of you, and and I look forward to having you back uh, again in the future. Wonderful. Thanks, God
2: bless, Ted and Tim, and thanks again, you guys. Wonderful,
1: wonderful session. All right. Session. All right thank care. you, guys. Right. Bye bye. Thanks. Bye bye. All right, my very special guest, um Byron Casper, of course, uh international PGA member and, and uh he's working his way towards the champions tour now. He he uh he and I have talked a little bit about that and I'm hoping I'm going to be fortunate enough. Maybe I'll meet him out there. We'll see but what happens. But uh, no promises, but I'm going to see what I can do. But if not, I'll, I'll certainly be cheering him on. Um, great guy, and, of course, the son of legendary, uh, the late legendary Billy Casper, who is uh, one of my favourite players of, of all time. Just a, a great guy and just a very humble man. And I had the honour and pleasure of having him on the show here a few years ago um, while he was still with us and just uh, giving him his time. In fact, he was on for an entire broadcast um, when I first up, up and started. Never had the pleasure of meeting him face-to-face, but uh, had a couple of conversations with him beforehand, and then, of course, on the broadcast, and certainly was a great asset to the game, a great father and just a, a very humble gentleman and, and um, very honoured to have, have had the opportunity to speak with him uh, to, the, to the length that I did. So uh, thank you, Byron, and, of course, my good friend, uh, the president and founder of Spirit of Golf, um, Mr. Tim Kramer, just a wealth of information. Uh, make sure you go to myspiritofgolf.com uh, to check out not only the schedules of some of his conferences and uh, seminars that he may have going, but also uh, sign up, I believe, for his new le- newsletter, as he said, on the front page or for the thought of the day. Um, <clears throat> some great information, great tips there as well. All right, I got two gentlemen coming up here, been on the show uh, a number of times. Uh, last time, I believe, was in April of last year. Uh, of course, I'm talking about a couple of fellow Canadians, uh, Rick Benoit and Bill Stark from uh, ILDC, which is uh, short for International Long Drive Challenge. Uh, they've got a new event that's coming up. Actually, next week, uh, I believe, is when it's uh, going to be here. Uh, actually, out in, uh, I believe, North Carolina. Um, these guys have been on the show a number of times. Uh, so, without further hesitation, let me bring on my good friends, Mr. Rick Benoit and Bill Stark. All right. Good evening, guys. Uh, doing very well. Uh, Rick, are, are both you and Bill uh, with us?
0: Yeah, actually, Ted, um, we're in uh, Newton Grove, uh, uh, North Carolina. Uh, our event is uh, this this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Saturday and Sunday is competition days. And in the truck with me, I've got uh, Bill Stark, um, who you're familiar with. I've also got Bobby Peterson, uh, who's one of our, our board members uh, of the ILDC. Uh, and uh, founder of the ILDC USA in conjunction with Bill and I, uh, and Ron Lantman, uh who's also a board member. So you got the four of us uh, on the line here.
1: That okay, perfect, um, excellent. Well, guys, thank you very much. First off, for joining uh, uh, joining me on Golf Talk Live, it's a pleasure. Um, uh, Bobby and Ron, welcome to the show as well. And uh, safe, safe driving. It sounds like you're driving, so be careful while you're out there uh, uh, talking to me. But uh, let me just do this real quick, uh, Rick, why don't you give us just a, just for those that may be tuning in for the first time tonight, maybe just a quick recap, a little bit about uh, uh, ILDC, how it, how it was formed, um, roughly how long ago it started, and how many events, and, and don't talk about uh, this week's uh, event yet, we'll, we'll save that for a minute later, but uh, just sort of recap some of the other events uh, that you have throughout the year, and, and uh, we'll go from there. All right,
0: Ted, uh, you know, first we'd like to thank you for having us back on the show. It's, it's always a pleasure to be on your show as a fellow Canadian, so thank you very much for that again. Uh, yeah, I guess you can hear the weather in the background uh, out here in uh, North Carolina. It's kind of raining hard. We're hoping that that rain stops before the weekend But uh Just to, to uh, let our listeners know about our organization, we formed in 2010. Uh, Bill Stark and myself were the original founding partners of the organization the International Long Drive Challenge and um, Bill and I both got into the sport uh, in and around the year 2000 and you know we, we absolutely love the sport of long drive and uh, you know we refer to it and it's commonly referred to these days I guess as the uh, home run derby and golf uh, and uh, we, we we competed at many events uh, you know both in Canada, the U.S. Uh, and, and internationally um, throughout the years and just clearly enjoyed the sport so much so that in 2010 we felt that you know, it was time for us to give something back to um, the sport itself that it has given us you know, so much joy and, and excitement over the years and uh, and we wanted to give something back to that. Uh, so we formed the International Laundry Challenge in 2010 and since that time we've had uh, our event called the Bash for Cash, uh, our Canadian National Championship uh, which is held at Sars Golf Course in Fort Rowan, Ontario, uh, and, uh, and our International World Team Championship, which is unique to Long Drive because it's the first ever uh, event that involved uh, a team concept in the sport of Long Drive where we had three open competitors, a female and a senior, uh, going against each other in competing countries uh, like other sports uh, would do in a world championship. So so that was our concept in 2010 and since that time, we've quadrupled in numbers in terms of the participation in our event, um, and you know we feel that we're heading in the right direction in terms of long drive and what we want to do in the future.
1: You know, um, let me just say, I mean, you know, you've been on the show now I think about three times. Uh, this is probably making it number four, um, and one of the reasons I enjoy having you guys on is. I hear nothing but good things coming from all of the uh, callers that were on the last few times. Obviously, many of them are, are competitors um, in uh, ILTC uh, uh, challenges and so forth. Um, but they have nothing but good things to say about you and, and Bill, particularly. Just not only are the are the the um, uh, tournaments, if you will, or the uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for, but the events. Me, the events run extremely well but uh but everybody certainly feels very welcomed and and warm and and invited and i think this is why you get such great participation and and just through obviously word of mouth and 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 so forth uh word is quickly spread on on just what a great organization you guys have have got and and bobby and ron i know that you're on the board as well uh and and helping out Uh, bobby if i'm not mistaken and, and rick please correct me if i'm if i'm incorrect but um Bobby, I know you're uh, sort of intimately involved with this particular tournament uh, event coming up, if you will, uh, this weekend. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, I helped set up the venue for it over at right. Keith Hills uh, Golf Course,
1: Bowie's Creek. Say it again. I'm sorry, I didn't get that.
3: Keith Hills Golf Course in Bowie's Creek, North Carolina, Lillington.
1: Okay.
0: Um, so, so this is this. Yeah.
1: This is the first year uh, for this particular.
0: Sorry.
1: No, this is the first year for this particular event, correct? Well, it's the first year that we've
0: ever held it in the U.S. Um, in, uh, in January, we held a, a board meeting with all the board of directors of the ILDC, and uh, we decided to move the ILDC into the U.S.A. So we formed, uh, in conjunction with the International Long Drive Challenge of Canada, we also formed the International Long Drive Challenge of uh, the U.S.A., and um, in doing so, this is our inaugural event in the USA, and we're, we're holding it at Keith Hills um, and and Golf golf Course, and I mean, for us, it's an exciting change, because it's the first time that we've ever held this event outside of Canada. Um, we're actually sitting outside of the one-stop, the home of the one-stop power shop uh, clubhouse right now, where a lot of these athletes that are going to be competing this weekend come here to train under Bobby's tutelage, so... All around, right. it's, it's going to be a fantastic weekend and a special event in that we're holding it kind of in the one-stop power shop backyard, if you will, um, and, right. uh, and we're going to get a lot of a lot of talent out this weekend from, from that organization, and, and Bobby's tutelage as a, a, both an instructor, a teacher, and a
1: mentor. Right. And, and you know, obviously, um, you guys have done a phenomenal job in, in building not only the ILDC brand in Canada... But as you said, you now are branching out uh, and you, you don't only really get a, a lot of, um, you know, great Canadian long drive hitters uh, that have participated with ILDC, but you've obviously attracted uh, a lot of U.S. Uh, uh, players as well. But you're also getting a lot of international attention as well. You're getting players coming internationally. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, in our, in our international world team championships, we get uh, quite a few countries from outside of Canada and the U.S. that attend our events. Uh, South Africa, we have a competitor from South Africa that's actually going to be at Keith Hills this coming weekend and compete in our Bash for Cash, uh, one of our female competitors. And, and, you know, again, Ted, I mean, we, we've we've been on the show before and we've, we've talked about the event, and, and I think what makes our event unique is that, yes, it's a structured and organized event, and, and we hope that competitors like the way we run the event, but Uh, along with the great competition, there's a lot of camaraderie, a lot of fun. And I think that is a huge draw to our event for a lot of competitors. Um, And and I think we're going to see that again here this weekend. And we're holding the Bash for Cash 6. We've got an open division, uh, a senior division, and a women's division. And we're one of the only organizations currently uh, in the world that does long drive events that holds a division for women. So I think that's kind of unique and special. and and something that we need to build and grow on.
1: Yeah, and I I agree wholeheartedly. I think now as you um, are starting to see more and more women, um, you know, becoming interested in golf, you're obviously going to get women that are going to specifically want to tap into what, you know, the events that you guys uh, are are doing as well. And, and, um, you know, you you guys have done, in my opinion, a great job. Um, not only hosting the events, but just again, building the awareness out there for so many people um, and that, I think that's again, one of the other reasons why you're getting um, such good numbers coming in all the time. Tell us a little bit about specifically about the event, I mean you've got uh, different categories as well but what? Um, give us an outline if you will, for those that maybe are not familiar with what your event encompasses, tell us a little bit exactly what's going to happen at the event this week and, and how many days uh, is it over and, and then sort of narrow it down from there uh
0: the event this weekend is going to take place on saturday and sunday july 9th and 10th um and there are three divisions as i said earlier open men's division is 18 to 44 years of age uh the old guys division or seniors division is 45 years and older uh and then we have our ladies division and you know Again, the, the ladies' division is unique in that no one else does it. It encourages women to get involved in the sport. And, and as so many of your callers and previous shows that you've had on your show, we know that there's a lot of female talent out there, um, but there's really no venues for them to display that talent at or, or go and try and compete. And, and maybe there's a little bit of apprehension because they've never done it before. It's it, it on a different scale than golf itself in terms of a sport. Um, and they might be afraid to come out and try it. So the age limit for the women is, is we start at 16 years old, and we don't cap it at anything because we'd really like to encourage more women to come out and participate in the sport. And and it's really about having fun and, and coming out and right. trying. And, and, you know, and the camaraderie around, I mean, they'll feel welcomed into the family and, and really love to do the sport.
1: Yeah, I, I remember, you know, the last uh, last year we when you were on the program, I remember... Um, Many of the participants, uh, both the the men and the women, uh, of course you had Lisa and and Michelle were on the show uh, last year, but um, I remember, you know, sort of a a resounding uh, echo, if you will, of all of the the participants of just really how welcome they feel at the event. And again, it's not just a great competition. I mean, that's obviously, you know, they're there to compete, but it is really um, a, a very extended family unit, if you will, of, of like-minded people that enjoy a, a similar event and a similar sport, um, but you guys like to have fun and, and, and have a good time. And, and really, when you're doing, regardless, you know, all competitiveness aside, when you're at an event like this, you want to be having fun and enjoying yourselves. And, and again, that's uh, something that uh, was very evident uh, for those that tuned into last year's and, and the previous year's broadcast when we had some of the other callers on. Um, that was something that resonated very, very strongly from all of them. Was that they, you know, you guys not only put a great event together, but you made sure everybody had a good time and felt welcomed at the events, so and that was extremely important on on, uh, on propelling it forward.
0: Oh, well, for sure, and, I, and I, you know, we're all about that extended family because you know, uh, long drive is one of those sports that's been out there for a lot of years um, and has been getting more and more exposure. Uh, but in order for it to grow, we believe, from our perspective, we need to bring like-minded people together. Uh, in order to, to uh, gain more knowledge and experience from those who have been around longer than us and, and hear right directly from the players. And, and you know, a couple of the things that are, are misnomers, if you will, in, in what we do, um, and I'm going to let Bobby speak for the equipment portion of this because that's part of what the One Stop Power Shop does. Um, right. And he's very, very, very confident in what he does in, in building the club's for competitors and athletes in terms of knowledge. But the other misconception is, is that, you know, um, other organizations that are out there or other events that are out there, um, the price tag for a competitor to come out and compete is is high. It's, it's expensive in, in some of the events that are out there. Some some of the events are uh, seven hundred and fifty dollars or $1,200 for an entry fee. Um, this right. weekend for, for the ladies and for seniors, it's $300 uh, to enter. And for the open division, it's $500. And, right. you know, the, Bill and I have always felt that um, it's not about Bill and I and it's not about the organization, it's about the players and, and getting the event and the sport to grow. So we give 100% of the entry fees back to the hitters in terms of purse. Um So, you know, as we've said before, you know, we don't have those corporate sponsors. We don't have the, the money or the dollars that we need um, currently to grow the organization as quickly as we would like to. But in the meantime, of of somebody seeing value in what we do, um, we give back 100% of of the players' money back to the players in terms of a prize first, and we keep their costs down as low as we possibly can. And that holds true right through to the International World Team Championships where people go away on an all-inclusive trip for seven days at an all-inclusive resort. They're more than welcome to bring their significant other uh, their right. children, family members, make it a vacation and then compete for four days. And the cost is extremely low uh, to go and do that in comparison to some of the other events that are out there. Um, so that's one of the misconceptions and misnomers is, you know, I don't want to go and waste a lot of money trying to do this because I don't really right. know if I'm good enough.
4: <clears throat> but
0: we think that the, the cost is reasonable. It's low enough. Uh, and it's still a good enough return in that we give back 100% of that entry fee back to the players. Um, so that's the first misconception that I think that everyone needs to understand. And, and the second one is the equipment that we use and the misconception around, um, you know, the heads that we use and the shafts that we use and, and that we use some magical wand to hit a ball far. Uh, and I'm going right. to let Bobby speak to that. Ahead, yeah, all, all equipment is uh, obviously USGA compliant,
3: um, and we build to the maximum length of uh, 48 inches, which is all about the USGA. So, you know, you, you could actually take one of these drivers and go out and play in any uh, sanctioned event with USGA that you want to. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and the balls we're using, you know, all legal balls. There's nothing illegal about what we're doing as far as equipment is built out or anything like that, and, and it's all regulated. Really right. Related, so. That's kind of a misnomer that we're using. Super long clubs, well, they're not super long. Uh, once you get them in your hands, start practicing a little bit. They will feel pretty good to you. It's just, you know, when I, I first started playing golf, stand at one for the driver was 42 inches.
4: You know, right. It, it was
3: 42 inches because we were sing, We were swinging uh, s- small persimmon heads with steel shafts that weighed 120 grams. You know, Now we're graphite right. and stuff like that. We we can get the weight down to 40, 50 grams, you know, and still hold up. And, uh, and you know, that allows you to get uh, more length into to the club to generate a little more club speed. And, there, you know, when you start doing that, you start looking at different lofts because the longer the club, the, the less loft you might to have to have. So we got, we got guys that are actually getting, you know, down to two-degree drivers, which,
0: wow. you know, for the
3: average golfer, you're not going to do that, you know. But, again, we're, we're on, the, on the tee trying to hit it out the back of the grid. I'm not trying to find a, a little fairway and then a wedge into a green
1: right and and traditionally how wide uh, of of a uh, 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 landing area is it going to be rick
0: um so at our events our our grid is 45 yards wide um which okay. for most golf courses is is pretty much the standard width of a fairway um we we like to hold our events on a golf course because we still like to have that element of truth, if you will. Um, and, sure. And we like, and we like to, to have uh, an event where the spectator can compare something to their own abilities and what they've done on that particular hole if they've played there before. Uh, so, you know, the spectators that are coming out to Keith Hills this weekend to watch the event, if they've played Keith Hills, um, they'll know exactly where they hit the ball. When, when they've gone to play that and practice and do their thing. Um, but, uh, you know, when our competitors get up and they hit the ball, um, there's a comparison there. They can relate to it. There's a reality to it as opposed to, um, you know, hitting, hitting a ball uh, out into a football field uh, that might be 100 right. yards wide or 9 yards wide. Um, it, it takes some of the skill, in our opinion, away from the sport, so we like to keep it right. to a fairway, which, you know, 40, 45 yards wide is the maximum we like to go, um, and and, uh, and that's what our grid typically is, and it goes to 450 yards long.
1: Wow. Now, Ron, I want to bring you in uh, into the conversation as well, if, if we can. Um, Ron, I know that you, right. you've uh, – comp- Yeah, you, I know you're ready to compete as well. I, I want you to just talk uh, very briefly, if you can, uh, about as a competitor – you know, as you're, as you're coming into this event, you know, what are you thinking? What's going through your mind? And, and you know, what sort of thoughts are you putting together as you prepare for, for an event like this?
5: You know, I, 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 first of all, just, it's a blast to, to compete. I just love being around all the guys. Everybody gets along. Um, and, and we're one big family here. Right? Everybody cheers everybody on. Nobody's, you know, wishing anybody no, no harm there. And, and it's just fun right. being with everybody and I'm just hoping to do my best, right? I'm getting up there, I'm relaxing, you know, working on one. Maybe I was practicing while I was on the range, but trying not to think too much, right, just letting it go. So it's just just a fun event. It's great to be around everybody. You don't get to see them all year long, and everybody's just up there cheering everybody on, and hopefully you hit it your best.
1: Now, is there a strategy? Now, I don't want you to give any, way, any trade secrets here, but is there? A, do you have a strategy that, that you come into the event with? I mean, obviously, you want to be relaxed and, and you want to be, um, uh, you know, not sort of working yourself up, getting overstressed and things like that. But do you have a strategy or a game plan coming into an event like this? Well, I'm,
5: I'm hoping to maybe hit a sprinkler head or a root that's down in the fairway so I get a good bounce. <laughs> right? um, you know what? No strategy. You know what? I've, I've, I've worked on you know the guys have practiced coming up to this event and and i like to say we practice to forget so when i get on that tee i'm just trying to stay relaxed and 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 letting her rip and and hopefully i catch a good one if i catch a good one fantastic if i'm hit my best and i still get beat that's no problem
1: at all right again it goes back to to the fun factor you guys are there to have a good time with that um bill if, if if you haven't uh Dozed off yet? I'd like to ask you a question. Are you going to be playing with shoes and socks uh, this year, or are you going barefoot?
0: Barefoot, well, barefoot, Bill. That's me. I, I don't, <laughs> don't
5: like shoes. Much more, much more comfortable in a barefoot environment. And,
0: uh, doesn't make people talk a lot. That's a little bit of comedy of the routine.
1: Well, but you got to, you got to keep you in know? mind. That you you got to keep in mind, though. Uh, you're not up in Canada, so you got to watch out things. Uh, watch out for things in North Carolina, like fire ants and and things like that, and and snakes, and that you're not going to have back in Ontario. So you have to be careful if you're going to go barefoot. Um, uh, Bobby, I want to I want to bring you back in here just to have a little bit of fun here. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about this on the last time on the show um, about that that Canadian U.S. Uh, you know competition here. We're going to get some some uh uh patriotism fired up here for this uh this event, a little US patriotism and and uh you're going to be facing off against some of those Canucks.
3: Yeah, we've already started. I mean, uh we've just joined by a fellow American Mitch Dobbin. Uh he's a board member also and obviously Mitch and I are sitting in the front seat and the Canadians are sitting in the back seat of this truck already. <laughs> 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 Yeah, we're always well, gonna have that. If you can't have have a little needling and fun, what, what's the point of being here?
1: Yeah. Well, I just want you. I just want you to know, uh, Bobby, that in Canada, a truck uh, sitting in the back seat of a truck's like sitting in the back seat of a limo. So uh, they're they're just taking advantage of your of your driving and uh, and yeah.
4: Uh, <laughs> yeah but
1: <laughs> the, the, the problem with that is we're not in Canada. Eh?
4: <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, uh, guys, Ted, let me ask
1: uh, you that, please, Yeah, let me, uh, let me ask you by, uh, Sorry, go ahead.
0: I said we've been joined by uh, Mitch Dobbin, and he's uh, he's also one of our board members and uh, and the last one that's going to be here uh, for this event this weekend. So um, uh, I'd like to bring him into discussion as well.
1: Sure. Um, Mitch, well, let me bring in, uh, obviously, coming in last year, you're coming in with some confidence. You didn't need to get ahead of everybody else and get out there and and warming up in that. So you're coming last here with obviously some some confidence. Um, Let me ask you the same thing that I asked Ron uh, a moment earlier is, are are you coming in with a game plan? What's your game plan going to be for this week and coming into the event?
4: Uh, Well, you know, I actually raise uh, money for charities uh, at charity golf events for a living. So um, as far as preparation leading up to this, I hit golf balls for a living. Um, but at the same time, it puts a lot of wear and tear on my body. So I'm just going to come out, you know, I'm not really going out with the highest expectations. Uh, you know, I know I'm not at absolute top speed right now. So I'm just going to try to do the absolute best I can, put as many balls in play, and hopefully one gets rolling.
1: And and, and as, as Ron said a moment ago, maybe a, a lucky bounce off a sprinkler head or something just to give you an extra 10, 20, 30 yards, uh, hopefully not backwards, uh, advance it down the fairway. Um, let me ask I'll you something hopefully else.
4: Hopefully i play hopscotch on those sprinklers.
1: <laughs> let, let, me, uh, let me ask all of you this, and, and, and whoever wants to jump in, uh, feel free. What about fitness? I mean, you know, all of you, of course, know Michelle Sheptak. I mean, she'll be, uh, you know, she works out hard and, and prepares for something like that. Are all of you, uh, maybe not to the same degree, but do you, all kind of keep yourself, uh, you know, in, in shape that way. Is there anything as far as a fitness regime to prepare for, for tournaments like that, for events like this, uh, or is it just a, sort of a grip it, rip it mentality? How do you come about that? Let's start with uh, Rick. I know I know you like to do some lifting in that, and then uh, we'll go to Bill, and then uh, Bobby, Ron, and then uh, Mitch. Uh,
0: you know, just because of, of my my real job, my real career, uh, that um, I recommend I exercise regularly, but uh, in terms of exercising for long drives, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't do anything specific for the sport. Um, but there are other other people that dedicate and focus themselves to to training and working out uh, around the clock year round uh, for this sport, and and they're truly dedicated athletes. And I think, as I've said before to you, it's important to recognize that the people in the sport that do. Uh, that type of regime are athletes, and I think that needs to
1: be recognized. Sure. Oh, for sure. Um, Bill, what about you? you? you uh doing a few extra reps, uh, maybe a couple of push ups before the event, or what have you got going? <laughs> uh,
5: not a lot in
0: that fashion, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, 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 a li- maybe a little. It might be the occasional 12 ounce curl or something like that, but well,
1: no I was, other than that. Yeah, I was, that was going to be my next. Um Bobby what about you do you uh, is there anything special that you do to prepare for an event like this i mean obviously um you know you certainly want to keep yourself in, in shape and things like that but uh you don't go crazy with with any sort of fitness regime if you will it's uh, a a little more brain power maybe uh, are you using it from that angle or or what do you do to prepare for an event uh
3: no i i actually do a 12 month plan i i do lifting during the winter and uh, this makes my fifth event this year, so um, I have a schedule that I stay on as far as uh, carving up, hydrating, things like that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not a bodybuilder by any means. Right. I mean, I'm 48. I'm 48 years old, so I got the dad bod going on, and and I actually <laughs> have the grandpa bod going on now because so that, that well, my first grandbaby. Did. So, well, but uh, leading up to the event, the main thing with me is is making sure my equipment's right, making sure that I Don't overtrain, you know, because you obviously need time to recover after training, you know. Sure. And uh, just stay in a good mental frame, be loose, you know. And and the great thing about it is this is my home course, so I know where those sprinkler heads are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Well said, well said. Um, Ron, what about you? Anything special as far as, um, uh, you know, nutrition or physical fitness? that you attack these events with? Do you, do you, you, know, do you re- work out regularly? Is there anything specific that you do to, to prepare for so- something like this?
5: Um, not as much as maybe some other, some other hitters, but um, I rely on, on great guys like Bobby and a friend of mine who lives close to me in Canada there for, for, for club repair and putting clubs together. I mean, you know, I, I need that club to work for my swing, and, and inches <coughs> matters a lot in the game and guys like Bobby and and my friend who helps with my club um, you know if you're going to be a long drive here you got to make sure you have the right equipment honey, and these guys are fantastic at what they do and, and and it helps me a lot
1: right um Mitch what about you anything uh specific that you that you do uh, as far as a physical fitness or nutrition to keep yourself in in good shape uh, so you can be competitive out in an event like this
4: yeah, so uh, my answer is a little different from the, the rest of them. Uh, I, my background is actually in golf fitness, and uh, so I've done a lot of uh, studying and uh, gotten my background done in that. And so what I do is uh, golf is very much an explosive sport, right? You don't win right. trophies for walking on the hamster wheel for five hours. It doesn't do you any good to be able to do that. So what you have to do is be able to explode, recover, explode, recover. So we train right. as a power lifter. A sprinter and a, and somebody that that myself, I do yoga on a very regular basis. That way, I can carry I can carry a large amount of mass without without you know uh, hindering my flexibility. Uh, the, the the whole key is to move as efficiently as possible and make your body sequence from uh, and generate power as efficiently as possible. That way, you can continue to do so throughout rounds.
1: Right. Well said. Um, Let me ask you guys, and and whoever wants to to, to jump in and answer this one uh, is fine by me. Um, If you had your your average amateur golfer, I mean, they they come to people like myself and and other teach professionals out there, uh, wanting to know how they can hit it further. How can I get some extra yards? If you were going to advise uh, one of my students, let's say, as an example, on how you know, as a long drive hitter how they could gain some extra yards and and you were being honest with them because i mean as i mentioned earlier in the program i don't know if you tune in or not but um, you know many of the manufacturers out there have, have talked about for years about getting you know 10, 20, 30 extra yards if you buy this driver or that driver or this piece of equipment and you guys know as well as i do um, certainly equipment can help to a point but if you don't know how to hit the ball well uh... or, or how to work uh... you know work the swing properly you're not going to get those extra yards. But if you were advising a student, whether it be of mine or another teach professional, uh, on how to truly and honestly hit and get the ball further down the fairway, what would you tell them? What steps would you tell them, and what would you advise them to do? And, and that's open to anybody.
3: Find an instructor that understands how to build the clubs to the person's swing, work on your mechanics, and learn the flight characteristics of a golf
4: ball. And that also goes back to generating power efficiently, right? Every sport generates right. power the exact same way from the ground up. Everything is always from the ground up. What's your average amateur? They hit a big slice. Why? Because they're firing improperly. You you have to fire properly in order to generate power.
1: Right. Well said. Um, so why do you, you know? Is it a, a misunderstanding then by many in the in the golf business and the golf? And I'm not just talking about the professionals. Uh, out on tour, or anything like that. I'm talking about with the instruction. Is is there a um, a missed dialogue or miscommunication between instructor and students? Is this what's causing a lot of players not to to get the best? Uh, and again, I'm not saying this is a criticism to my fellow uh, golf instructors out there, but but obviously handicaps have not changed a lot uh, over the years. So is you know is there a miscommunication? Do you, do you guys think between instructor and students, or a misunderstanding maybe is a better way to put it? And, again, that's open to anybody. Uh, yeah.
4: Well, I, I would definitely agree with you that there's a misunderstanding. Uh, what it comes from is physical deficiencies that's in every single individual uh, based on injuries and different things like that that have led up to those deficiencies. So the whole problem is, is that the, per- the, the student knows what they want to do, the coach knows what they want to do, but the coach can't actually diagnose the physical deficiencies that is preventing them from accomplishing that goal
1: right right exactly um, now let's get back to the event uh... again this is the inaugural event that you're having here at, at this particular location in that um, rick i'm gonna go to you for a second on this if you can um, what's the end goal here what are you looking to accomplish with this particular uh, event uh, at this location what obviously you want to, uh... you know you want to expand into the u.s and that but what's your end goal with this what are you hoping in a perfect world uh, come the end of the event on Sunday, and you look back over the weekend, what do you want to see uh, happen?
0: Well, the first thing that we'd like to see, Ted, is this rain to stop. Uh, yeah. And then after that, uh, as, as I said on the onset of our discussion, um, we'd love to see a great turnout in terms of spectators at Keith Hill. Uh, we'd love to see competitors come out new, uh, new to the sport especially, try it out. Uh, As we said initially coming into the the interview, um, you know, it's not that expensive to come out and try, especially in the senior division and the lady division, uh, if you want to give it a shot. Um, And we'd like to see participation from new people. Uh, We welcome the return of of our uh, competitors that have been to our previous events before. We look forward to seeing them uh, and spending time with them. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a great weekend uh, with some great hitting, some great long balls in the grid, uh, and that competitive spirit um, that our, our event generates time after time uh, with a lot of camaraderie that happens throughout the whole weekend.
1: Fantastic. Um, what about balls that you're you're hitting? Uh, are, are you all playing with the same, I mean, as, as essentially as far as equipment goes? Uh, Bobby, if you want to jump in on this and answer I mean obviously everybody's going to be uh, looking at different equipment in that, but as far as balls is it, to keep things equal is that everybody playing with the same ball or uh, or how does it how is it set up
3: yeah uh Rick and bill have the pinnacle ball, uh new ball this year um yeah, so it' be the first time we actually put it in play
0: yeah it it just came out in the market um uh this year rush and uh and and uh everyone hit the same ball um if there's two people in a tee box at a time. Balls are marked one and two, uh, and the ball is called the pinnacle rush, and it's the first time that we put it in play in a, in a tournament. So we'll see
1: how it performs. Okay, fantastic. Um, well, I'm going to be, I'm gonna be uh, praying that the rain blows over. I know, you've, I know that they've had some weather up there, but I believe it's supposed to clear up um, actually uh, through tonight and tomorrow, hopefully um, the weatherman's correct. And I'll be praying that uh, that your event uh, holds well, and, and that you don't have any uh, difficult weather to contend with. But I'm sure you have a, a backup plan in the event. I'm sure Bill's uh, got some uh, ideas uh, in his head cooking if if uh, you get a little bit of rain delay happening. So uh, maybe uh, <laughs> may, maybe doing some maybe you know grilling out or, or something. I'm sure you guys have it. Um, let me just say this, guys: you do a fantastic job, and. Um, you know, I, I hear lots of great things on, on these events, as I said in the beginning. And um, and, and Rick, I'm I'm going to make a point for for next uh, year when you come back to this particular event in North Carolina. I'm assuming that uh, obviously you're going to have it at the same uh, venue, um, and we'll talk well before then. I've got some ideas, and and I I've been working on uh, trying to get you a a, a a a sponsor for that particular event. And unfortunately, wasn't able to put anything together in time for this year. But I definitely. Um, we'll have a whole year to, to work on that, but uh, uh, I've got some things that I'll talk to you guys about as well. And I, I think what I'd like to do and, and work towards for next year is not only attending the event, but uh, getting some coverage for the event as well. So we, through the media and getting out there uh, and helping to spread the word, because you guys do a fantastic job and, and obviously have a lot of fun, and and uh, and I want to meet you guys face to face. So I, I'm, uh, I'm I'm hoping to get an invite for next year.
0: Well, absolutely, Ted. You're invited anytime. You know that. And uh, as a fellow Canadian, your family. So you come on out to our <laughs> event anytime, and we'll, uh, we'll treat you like royalty. You can ride in the back of the bus with us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I can't. Can uh, I can't. Sorry. Go ahead.
3: If you can make it down, if you can make it down tomorrow, we're having a pig picking at uh, six o'clock at Keith Hills. Come on out and have some <laughs> barbecue
1: uh i i wish i wish i could uh, believe me uh, that's a that's a very tempting offer um gentlemen I, I again i just want to thank you very much i'm going to let you go because we've, we've only got a few minutes left uh, here and then i have got to close off the program but uh, just very quickly um rick just to let everyone know the venue the the dates and times and all that kind of stuff um and where they can go and learn uh, more information on ildc um just sort of read that off if you can real quick and and let the audience know where they can uh maybe be more involved in in what you're doing.
0: The event uh, is this weekend, July 9th and 10th, at Keys Hills Golf Club in Lillington, 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 North Carolina. Uh, And uh, if they want to find out more about the International Lawn Drive Challenge, it's www.internationallongdrivechallenge.com. And uh, there's some stuff on YouTube as well. Uh, And they can always get in touch with Bobby Peterson at the One Stop Power Shop uh, if they want to find out some more information and uh, Mitch Dobbin and his fitness regime. Uh, Mitch, can you give your, uh, your website there as well, please?
4: Uh, yeah, well, uh, any, you know, anybody can contact me at mitchell.dobbin at gmail.com, um, and I'll be happy to answer anything that they have any to say to me, and uh, I can also provide them. Uh, but it's also mdgolffitness.com uh,
0: is my uh, golf fitness. Page. And last but, last but not least, Ted, uh, Ronnie Lampman, um, if you could give your information uh, in terms of a website or, or some of the things that uh, that people can see about your your particular trick shot shows and some of the stuff that you do for charity, can you uh, can you give Ted uh, some information about yeah, that? Yeah,
5: absolutely, no problem. Yeah, you can. I can be reached at lighteduplament at outlook dot com. Um, I recently just joined the TGA. Um, it's a premium junior golf association, so we're doing a lot with junior mm-hmm. golfers um, in Canada and. Um, I would also like to say last year was my first year that I got to, to break out to the World Team Championships in Mexico, and it was phenomenal. I mean, I'm in the pool with former World Long Drive champions. I'm, I'm talking to guys from Kenya. I'm talking to guys from from Mexico, South Africa. So if, if anybody ever wants to have a blast of a lifetime, their their event, their World Team event is unbelievable, and it's just it's the coolest thing ever.
1: Well, fantastic. On tonight, uh, golf talk live, and and uh, you know, be safe out there this weekend. Have a good time. Uh, again, I'll be praying that the weather uh, clears up for you, so you can have a a good uh, a good fun event this year, and and uh, without any uh, you know un un or certainly unfavorable weather. And uh, and and uh, Rick, please uh, reach out to me uh, after the event. And, uh, and send me or, or let me know where I can get some information as far as um, if you've got any video or anything that you take at the event, and, and I'll be certainly glad to share that around. But um, I'll be in touch with you guys uh, in a little while, and, uh, and we can talk about for next year um, maybe having me come and do a program at the event and, and get some additional coverage as well uh, and, and also some sponsorship. We'll talk about that in a little bit more detail uh, at a later date. But um, guys, have a fun event this week and uh as always be good to the ladies cuz we want to grow that area of the game as well and uh, uh continued success uh, Rick and Bill and and thank you Ron and Mitch and and Bobby for for joining me as well and Bobby you you drive uh, my canadian friends uh safely to to this event this year and no uh no un, unsightly goat pass or or any uh you know bumpy roads or or anything I, I, cuz i don't want i don't want to get a call or an email saying that that you uh, you know took them over some bad turns or something and caused them to uh, to default in competition. So you take good care of my Canadian friends.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll get them to take some pictures of the accommodations for you. <laughs>
4: sure. <laughs> yeah.
0: Ted,
4: Sounds thanks a lot for
0: having us on the show again tonight, and uh, and once again, Ted, thanks for all your support. We really appreciate it.
1: Well, you know. All you have to do is reach out anytime. I'm always glad to do it. So uh, again, very special guests uh, tonight from ILDC. Have a good uh, tournament this weekend, guys. or A good event this weekend, excuse me. And um, and like I said, I'll be I'll be praying that the weather is good for it. But uh, again, be safe and have fun, guys. And and uh, Bill, stay try and stay awake if you can. And and uh, and uh, good luck. All right. thanks, Dad. Thank
4: thanks you. Ted. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Ted. Take care. Bye. Appreciate all right. It, all right.
1: Thank you guys. Have a good one. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. That was, uh, my very f- special guests, uh, Rick Benoit and Bill Stark from i l d c DC and a cast of favorites, uh, Mitch, Ron and, and Bobby, uh, all sounds like they're getting ready to have a good time and a good weekend. And uh, as I said, hopefully they'll have, uh, weather will, will stay uh, good for them. Uh, and, uh, that the, the rain and clouds will will pass over and let them have a good event. But uh sounds like uh, a lot of fun out in North Carolina. And uh, if you go to ILDC, uh, com, I'm sure that you'll get all the information there for the specific event, for Long Drive Challenge. Uh, lots of good events. is the, the inaugural event, if you will, uh, in North Carolina that uh, they're having this weekend. And uh, it sounds like it should be uh, a lot of fun. And I'm going to try and uh, make a point of getting out there next year and, and helping them uh, – Uh, even have a better uh, second year, but uh, good work guys as always. And thank you very much. I want to also again, thank my very special guests on the coaches corner panel tonight, uh, Mr. Byron Casper. And of course, Tim Kramer. Thanks guys for doing a great job as well. And again, I uh, apologize to the listeners for uh, the event on Tuesday on the women of golf show that Cindy and I uh, had to cancel, unfortunately, but it looks like we've got uh, everything worked out. And uh, I hope that you will join us next Tuesday Uh, We'll have a great guest uh, uh, again uh, in the wings. And um, I believe we're going to have another Symmetra Tour player as well joining us uh, first off. So make sure you tune in next uh, Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com's Women of Golf. Just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash womenofgolf. And then, of course, every Thursday night at blogtalkradio.com, you can tune into Golf Talk Live, and that's from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. Um, Just let me also thank... Uh, A few uh, sponsors, supporters of the program didn't get a chance the last couple of weeks, been real uh, busy with a lot of things going on. So I just want to get uh, an opportunity to thank some um, some great supporters of the program. Mr. Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide. Uh, Jonathan, of course, out in the Pensacola area, uh, has a great uh, golf guide that uh, he's been doing now for over 20 years. He's the uh, um, owner and and, uh, proprietor of South Coast Golf Guide, the editor as well. Uh, He puts everything together and has a great publication as I said, for over 20 years now, I believe 21 or 22 years, in fact. And that southcoastgolfguide.com is the website if you go there. Um, and you can also find it on Facebook. But if you go there, you can find all the great uh, courses in the southern part of the United States, from literally from Texas all the way over here to Florida and, and virtually all states in between. And uh, some great tracks that you can find in there. You get some information on there. And uh, if you go to southcoastgolfguide.com, you can see the online version as well. Uh, but if you want a copy of the guide, if you're not in the south right now, but you're planning on maybe coming here in the, in the next uh, few months, uh, especially as uh, some of you snowbirds up there and you want to, uh, you know, whether it be in Canada or northern part of the United States, you're planning on coming south to play some great golf, go to southcoastgolfguide.com and you can request a copy of the guide sent to you. Jonathan will be more than happy to send a, a copy up or you can wait till you come down here and just visit most of your uh local golf courses and most of your major resorts uh as well as uh the Edwin Watts golf stores, a lot of them carry it as well. Uh you can get a copy there and, and if you're looking at some uh golf uh in the uh, southwestern par- or southeastern part of the United States, uh, make sure you get uh, a copy of the South Coast Golf Guide. So thank you, Jonathan, for for bringing that. Uh, Meredith Kirk as well. She was the uh, 2014 Mrs. South Carolina uh, winner of that pageant, and she's also a great golf instructor. If you go to MeredithKirk.com, you can learn more about that. And she's a great uh, LPGA instructor. And, uh, entered into the, uh, uh, Mrs, uh, South Carolina contest, won that, and then went on to the Mrs. USA contest, didn't win, but, uh, finished very prominently in that, uh, competition as well. And that was really to help, uh, further her, uh, brand as well. But, uh, uh, great lover of golf out in the Myrtle beach area. And, uh, you can go to meredithkirk.com, uh, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland. Thank you very much for always continuing to help spread the word. Um, and, uh, Nikki, of course, is a great uh, uh, professional golfer, and uh, we're going to get him on the show. It's just been real tough with schedules to sort of tie it up. And I know I've been talking about this for a few months now, uh, but we are going to get Nikki on the show as well. That's Nikki and his uh, lovely wife, Tiffany Letherland. Thank you for all of your continued support. Mr. Bernie Pinder, of course, from OnticGolf.com. Uh, Bernie, of course, and his uh, customized uh, putters, a uh, great uh, brand and a great gentleman of the game as well, a uh, great supporter of the program. Uh, Thank you, Bernie, for all of your well wishes over the years and your continued support of of Golf Talk Live. And, of course, Sean Kelly, owner of linkedgolfers.com. Go to linkedgolfers.com, which is sort of a a, uh, follow-up of the uh, Linked Golfers off of LinkedIn uh, social media network. And uh, if you go there, there's some great information on linkedgolfers.com. And Sean Kelly, of course, will be more than happy to uh, reach out and and, uh, point you in the right direction to work and connect with some great people in the golf business uh and also last but not least mr peter doyle from doyle golf solutions over in ireland my good friend from overseas i'm sure he'll be tuning into the open uh next week and watching some of his uh, fellow europeans uh that are out there on the european tour and be uh playing in uh, in next week's um, uh open championship so i'm sure he'll be egging them on uh as well uh, but most importantly, of course, I want to thank all of you and take this opportunity to thank the listeners worldwide for faithfully tuning in to Golf Talk Live each and every week. Uh, I, I, as I say, every week I have a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment and of having a number of highly talented coaches, teacher professionals, authors, and entrepreneurs stop by, and it's really through their uh, talents and participation and guest appearances that help make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. So uh, in retrospect, let me just say again, thank you, uh, Byron Casper, Tim Kramer, and thanks to the guys, Rick Benoit and Bill Stark from ILDC for, for doing that uh, so greatly this week. Um, and I will see you guys next week here on Golf Talk Live, um, 6 p.m. Central, here on blogtalkradio.com network. Thanks, everybody. And also, don't forget to tune in next Tuesday with Cindy Miller and I uh, on the Women of Golf show on the blogtalkradio.com network as well. Thanks. God bless everybody, and have a great week.